Hi everyone and welcome to today's installment of the Biosketch series. I'm your host and representative from the SAM Research Committee, Nick Giordano, and it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Chris Cabral, who received his medical doctorate degree from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He went through the Harvard-affiliated Emergency Medicine Residency Program, and he received his MPH from the T.H. Chan Harvard School of Public Health. Dr. Cabral is an attending physician at Massachusetts General Hospital, where he's also an endowed chair, and he's a full professor at Harvard Medical School. Uh, Dr. Cable, thank you for joining us today. And uh, those listening on the podcast might be familiar uh, and know your name from, among other things, uh, the PERC rule, which you've helped to develop, and also uh, some protocols for the outpatient management of pulmonary embolism. Uh, among other things that you're known for, Dr. Cable, are uh, creating the uh, pulmonary embolism response team, and the first one at that at Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, so it's a pleasure to introduce you, and welcome to the podcast. Great. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, please call me Chris. We've known each other long enough that that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, you know, just starting out, this podcast was really designed to try and give medical students and residents a better idea of where they can envision the trajectory of their career 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. With that in mind, what advice uh, would you give to um, medical students that really uh, want to get started in EM research but don't know how? Yeah, that's um, it's a great question. And I, I do think it's a really important topic because Research can look like a black box, and it's it's very difficult to know how to start. Um, you know, I think the first question that any medical student or resident w needs to answer for themselves is, do they like doing research? You know, is this something that they're interested in, and is this something that they want to make a part of their career? Especially for medical students who are choosing a residency, because you may be deciding between a residency program that's highly academic and will give you lots of research opportunities, or one that's more community-based, which is going to prepare you really well to practice medicine, but may not offer the same kind of research opportunities that an academic program will. So getting exposure as a medical student to research, getting mentorship, those are all things that are, are really important, and, and I think you need to answer that question so that you know uh, where to take your next steps. Excellent. Do you have any recommendation for how medical students could get started on that journey? What type of opportunities exist for medical students to pioneer or do a brief installment of a research project, perhaps over a summer or over an academic semester? It, it depends a little bit on where you are. Obviously, there's a lot of different types of opportunities. Um, what I would suggest is figuring out where you can get a mentor who is interested in you. Um, one, of the, one of the early discussions I had with two of my mentors um, resulted in the first mentor commenting that the second mentor was a really great person because they wanted me to succeed for me, not for them. They wanted my career to be successful. And, and one of the things that you realize once you are a senior faculty member and you're submitting your, your CV for promotion, for example, is that you get credit for the people that you've mentored. And the more successful they are, the more successful you are. 
And so you want to find someone who gets that. You want to find someone who really wants you to be successful for you, um, not for them. And so I would suggest that be your first step as a, as a medical student or a resident, is, is find someone who's going to mentor you in such a way that you can grow and learn about research and whether you like it and methodology and all of the various aspects of it. I actually think medical students and residents don't need a mentor. They probably need three or four mentors. People offer different things. They offer different strengths. I think that you, generally speaking, need a content mentor. In other words, someone who knows something about the disease that you're studying. Right? For me, when I started in venous thromboembolism research, I reached out to Sam Goldhaber, who was one of the giants in the field and still is. I also worked very closely with Jeff Klein, who was a huge mentor for me. Knowing where the state of the science is and what cutting-edge research looks like in your field is really important. That's what those content mentors can give you. I also worked really closely with a guy named Andy McAfee, who was a brilliant statistical mentor for me and helped me understand study design, epidemiology, and biostatistics. So they offer different things, for example. Um, Lastly, I think you probably need a life mentor, right? Someone who can tell you how to balance the rigors of clinical training with academics and, you know, when you should probably just go home and see your significant other and how to be happy in an academic career. And, and that's a different, uh, that maybe a different person than the first two. Um, so I would advise you to get multiple mentors um, and, and, tap them for different tasks and skills that they can offer you. Excellent. And that's, I think, advice that um, is really applicable for someone starting out. Um, you know, there's just not one mentor, it sounds like, that, that you need to try and form a, a relationship with. But reaching out to your network at your medical school or at your residency program, it sounds like it, it's really been formative to the development of your career. And could you elaborate a little bit more on how your career has changed along the way? Um, did things go according to plan for you, and how did you pivot? Um, yeah, the, implied in that question is that there was some plan, um, <laughs> which may or may not be the case. Um, I, I've been pretty lucky along the course of my career, like I said, to start off with some really good mentors, and and I, I can't thank them enough. Um, Along the way, obviously, you, you grow your career and you, you learn from your mentors, but eventually you actually need to break away from them. Um, you need to establish yourself and your own trajectory. I still work very closely with the people that were my mentors early on, but um, it's, it's just like growing up. Um, my oldest daughter just went off to college, and at some point, if if, uh, if you're a good parent, then you can be confident that your kid can leave the nest. And if you're a good mentor, then you're confident that your mentees can go off and develop independent career themselves. And that's what you want. So you do need to think as your career develops, when do I tap into my mentorship? When do I establish myself as an independent investigator? 
Um, when do I start mentoring others? When am I really ready to do that? And when can I provide good quality mentorship to them? Um, and so as your career evolves, you need to think about all those things. Interesting. And, and um, can you comment on how your mentorship developed throughout the physical relocation of your career from medical school at one institution, residency at another? Uh, um, I know that you stayed on on your residency program for an attending physician. Can you comment how how that played a role in the development of your career? Because uh, it sounds like you've you've kept some of your mentors a little bit longer at one place versus the other, um, and and the natural I think progression of finding new mentors might be stimulated by a new location. Uh, and what's kind of the benefit of of uh, keeping a mentor, and uh, you know to what extent or how. Um, you know, have you had the same mentor, for example, from residency at Mass General until now? Do you still keep in contact with some of them? Um, I remember when I was deciding where to work after residency, and I was considering uh, whether to work at Mass General or whether to stay at Brigham and Women's or go to other places, and I sat down with Sam Goldhaber, who was my main PE mentor at the time, and I said, you know, Sam, I, I really think I'd like to work at Mass General, but I don't want to lose you as a mentor. And Sam said, Chris, I mentor people in South America. I think I can mentor you across town. <laughs> and now at this stage of my career, I have mentees in Australia. I have mentees throughout the entire United States. I have mentees in Denmark. I have uh, mentees in England. And one of the nice things about our new connected virtual world is that you can establish and maintain those mentee-mentor relationships virtually. There's nothing that really can replace an in-person mentor-mentee relationship and sitting down at the desk next to somebody, but I do think that that's gotten a little bit easier uh, with technology and, and for better or for worse, COVID has gotten us good at that kind of stuff. And so there really isn't, I think, a geographic limitation to mentorship. The, the limitation to mentorship is really finding someone who is dedicated to your career and willing to give you the time and effort and their knowledge um, on a you know, daily, weekly basis. Excellent. Thank you. And, and uh, you know, I think one of the main things that our listeners want to try and understand at this point is you know we mentioned that you work on pulmonary embolism research could you catch us up to speed and tell us a little bit about what you're currently working on now sure um you know one of the things that i'm working on now isn't really research related at all it's actually a website that we're building i am creating a website for our center for vascular emergencies and that's going to be a place where we showcase the different research projects and the amazing people that we work with here and and hopefully make that more accessible to both my fellow researchers and the public. So that to me is kind of an exciting new venture and hopefully we'll get that up and on the web pretty soon. I would say in terms of my actual research projects, there's, there's a lot of diversity and I, I think this is important for, for medical students to, to sort of think about and for junior researchers, residents to think about. Um, while I certainly am considered or would consider myself to be a PE researcher, 
PE is sort of at the hub of what I do. In other words, I do clinical research in the emergency department. I enroll patients, we do observational and interventional studies that happen to be about PE. I also do a lot of epidemiology work, looking at large population-based cohorts like the Nurses' Health Study. I am one of the co-founders of a large genetic epidemiology consortium, in fact, the largest one in the world. I am doing high-throughput omics, like metabolomics. I have done economic research and certainly some health policy research. And most recently, I'm very interested in VTE prevention. Um, so I'm doing all of those types of research and they all happen to be about PE. So I, I think that that's one way to think about your research career when you're just starting out is, you know, it's not necessarily critical that you pick a topic. Um, what you want to figure out is what kind of research do I think is the most impactful? What do I enjoy doing? An early mentor of mine once said, you know, bright people will find what's interesting in any topic. It doesn't matter whether you're studying PE or the left retina, right? You'll find what's interesting about the left retina because you're bright and you're going to investigate things and you're going to find out whatever is cool about that thing you can then apply, apply the different tools of research to studying that thing and moving that science forward. So I, I do a lot of different things um, and apply a lot of different research skills and, um, and collaborations to those efforts and they all just happen to be about PE. Excellent. And it sounds like you've developed a, a strong set of principles that have served you well throughout your research career. Would you would you recommend uh, an individual who's interested in an academic research career to pursue a fellowship to try and develop some of those skill sets themselves? Or in your opinion, is it best to try and find a good mentor and pair up with them? So I, I didn't do a fellowship myself, but I will say that I think it's very difficult to be successful and very important to get some kind of formal training. That can be through a fellowship I happen to do a master's in public health and clinical epidemiology and biostatistics. And I did that after completing my residency. In my mind, that was a really um, beneficial way to do it. I think it's very difficult to do a degree like that if, and, and take a lot out of it unless you know how you're going to apply it. But once you do know how you're going to apply it, so in my case, I knew I was doing clinical research, then those kind of degrees are invaluable. Um, whether you get that kind of training through a fellowship or whether you get it through a, an advanced degree, I think is dealer's choice. Um, you can be successful either way. And I know people who have been incredibly successful by doing both. Um, so that, that would be my advice is some kind of formal training is critical, um, but how you want to approach that is up to you. Now, that said, there's really no substitute for practical training in research. And when you're getting started, I think it's, it's really important for you to find a project where you, as the student, resident, junior most person on the team, actually get to run that whole project. There are lots of research opportunities where you get to 
be a cog in the wheel or get to enter data into a chart review or that kind of thing. But if you can find a smaller doable project where you have to submit the IRB, write the protocol, figure out how to get people to help you, draft the data collection instrument, clean the data, analyze the data, write the paper, and do it all yourself, you're going to learn a lot more than you are by working in some maybe bigger name lab doing a smaller, more focused task. So for example, I, I picked up some of what I think are my, my commandments of research um, by doing projects myself. Um, one of my first projects, we were enrolling patients in the emergency department at Brigham Women's Hospital, and I found my mantra, which is make the thing you want people to do the easiest thing for them to do. If, if the thing that you want people to do is makes their life easier, faster, and more efficient, then guess what? That's going to happen. And so we made the uh, enrollment of patients in our study the easiest thing for people to do to help move things forward. And that was something I carried forward into the development of PERT, for example. Uh, PERT is a multidisciplinary response team for the acute care of patients with severe PE. It was a complicated process. There were a lot of cross-communications that needed to happen to get various consultants and treatments on board. And in my opinion, patients suffered as a result of that. So we simplified it. And we, we made advanced PE care one-stop shopping. And not surprisingly, that system is now taken off and is used throughout the world. And it all comes back to that mantra I learned very early on as a resident, which is make things easy for people. But I would never have learned that if I wasn't managing my own study and trying to figure out how to make sure people got enrolled and had to solve those problems on my own. So I think if, if you have the choice of a research experience where you are uh, sort of a small part of a big operation or a research experience where you are learning every aspect of doing research, even if it's a smaller project, um, but you're doing it, I would choose the latter. Excellent. And so it sounds like your definition of success over time has changed a little bit. Earlier in your career, it sounds like you, know, you were really focused on getting involved in all aspects of a research project. And some of the applications of that and the fruits of your labor have really been developed through the development of PERT and forming that. At this point in your career, how are you defining success for yourself and, and what does that look like for you? Um, at, at this point in my career, I am more interested in big paradigm shifting projects. I, I would like to uh, engage in research or clinical initiatives that really change the way we practice medicine. And so, for example, right now, I'm thinking about how to prevent PEs in the general population. Uh, we know that uh, the largest proportion of patients who die from PE die within the first hour, and many of them never even make it to medical care. 
So while it's not emergency medicine per se, um, it I'm really focused on how can we stop those people from dying in the first place. And if we can stop them from ever getting the PE in the first place, then that may be the greatest potential impact we have on PE mortality. That is, um, or doing that in the general population is, would be a paradigm shift. Uh, we don't really spend a lot of time trying to prevent PEs among otherwise healthy people walking around um, who don't know they're about to get a PE tomorrow. And, and thinking about how to do that through some combination of genetics or uh, you know, genetic stratification or other things is something I'm interested in at the moment. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm interested in now um, at this sort of later phase of my career where I have the luxury of not having to do the, necessarily do those sort of smaller incremental studies to build up my CV, which is a part of everybody's career. Um, and, and I think that kind of stuff is fun. The other, the other thing that I'm really interested in is helping young researchers build their careers. I love doing that. Um, and, and so having mentees in the UK and Australia and Denmark and throughout the US, that's, that's the fun part of my job. And it's one of the reasons that we're building up this website is to sort of let people know that you know, we're out there and can provide a resource for them. Um, you know, I, I think that that's really important because I think that the, the things that would define success for a young person in their career as they're starting aren't necessarily the things that I'm, I'm telling you now about big picture projects. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think, for example, the most one of the most important things that a young researcher can do once they've decided that they are interested in research or even in a particular topic is to get their name known among the people who are working in that field. Um, you know, for me, sitting down for dinner with Jeff Klein when I was a resident was a big day for me. Um, when I was at the International Society for Thrombosis and Hemostasis conference, and I saw Clive Kieran there, who again was a giant in our field, um, I went up and introduced myself to him and said, hi, I'm, I'm Chris Cabral. And he said, oh yeah, I, I know I know you, I know your work. And I gotta say, I don't think I've ever been prouder as a researcher because I had no reason to believe that Clive knew who I was, but I was willing to go up and talk to him and then to find out that he actually was familiar with me was, was really a special moment. Um, but getting to know the people in your field and getting them to know you um, will get you invited to collaborations. It'll, it'll get you into sharing data. It will get you brought into networks and that's a great way to sort of set your career um, on an upward trajectory. And uh, you know, Chris, now that you mentioned that, I can see how your career has developed from focusing on a small individual research project to getting your name out there and being known for a specific area of research uh, and setting yourself up to be able to tackle those big systems-based problems. Uh, it sounds like that's kind of uh, fueled your collaborations in the ED uh, so that you can tackle these, these diseases that override and extend far beyond emergency medicine. Is that, is that a fair statement to, to make? Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to have, as, as a, one of the best things about research is that you, you get to have an impact beyond any individual patient. Right? You, you can influence care 
throughout the world. You can discover things that have never been known before, but will be true forever. Um, the ability to have a, a large impact is really what I think drives a lot of us um, into going into research. And, and that, to me, is, um, is one of the things that keeps me going in research. It's one of the things that got me into research, yeah. Excellent. And so, you know, with the um, evolution of uh, residency applications where now a lot of medical schools are switching to a pass-fail system for their academic courses and the USMLE Step 1 will be transferring to a pass-fail system, there's been an increased focus on a resident, or a, excuse me, a medical student's uh, application on extracurricular activities. With that in mind, what advice do you have for medical students regarding research? Um, when should they start to participate in it, and how should they try to prioritize it with their academic pursuits? Yeah, I, I think that's it's an interesting evolution because obviously when I was in medical school, we we got uh, you know your standard ABC grades, right? And and that's maybe not the way things are moving forward anymore. And there is going to be a more holistic uh, evaluation of students coming out of medical schools, and and I, I'm sure that'll be challenging for both the students and and the residency directors who are having to figure out who who they want to pick. Um, I think I would stick with what I said before, which is, you know, figure out if you like research. Figure out if you're the kind of person like I was when I sat um, sat down and hit enter to watch the statistics run if I got that little thrill waiting to see what was going to come out the other end of that. Um, if you like doing research and you like um, exploring new topics, if you like being able to sort of define the thing that you want to work on, uh, what what interests you at that moment, and and try to try to move it forward, then then you should pursue a research topic, and you should have a research mentor. And I, I think it's hard to know if you're going to like that until you actually sit down and do it. So I I would think that just about everybody coming through med school should at least explore doing some research to figure out if that's something they want to pursue. Um, like I said before as well. If you can make that project something that is yours and and manage you ma something that you manage from the beginning to the end, then I think you'll have a very reasonable estimate of what a research career is like, and you can decide how to move that forward. Um, and and then lastly, I think that if you want to get uh, if you can get in touch and collaborate with a mentor who you like and who supports you in all of those endeavors, then um, when it comes down to actually apply, you will have a letter writer who knows you well, who can speak to your skills, and that will undoubtedly differentiate you from, from other folks. Excellent. Yeah, and I, it sounds like, you know, uh, that would really promote more of a genuine involvement in research and a natural, organic growth of an interest in a topic. Um, you know, with with COVID in the current state of, of the world, um, do you recommend virtual research opportunities, and, and how do you see that playing out in the development of a, a 
you know, a junior researcher's career? Yeah, I mean, it, it, at this point, there may not be a lot of choice. Um, the world is, is still reeling from COVID, and um, in-person opportunities just aren't what they used to be. Um, I, I don't think there's really a substitute for in-person experience, um, but I will say that at our center, we've been able to make virtual experiences work. And, and they work reasonably well. And we have you know, uh, technology that allows us to feel like we're meeting in person, maybe not quite, but almost. And the ability to give people access to data securely and um, meet with statisticians online and things like that. So yeah, I, I think that given the, the state of the world right now, um, virtual, virtual research opportunities work and and they work as well as as we can probably make them work um you know hopefully one day we'll we'll be back to more in-person experiences but uh, at the moment I, I think that these virtual experiences are are okay and it sounds like you've really been pioneering the pursuit of some of these virtual experiences um can you tell us a little bit more about your website and how you've designed it to try and not only uh, educate um, others on the research that you're currently doing, but also uh, to reach out to those around the world who might be interested in pursuing a particular type of research and what type of opportunities are there for getting involved and participating? Yeah, I mean, the, the website's a work in progress. I, I admit um, one of my selfish uh, reasons for doing it is because I don't know anything about making websites and I, I don't know anything about design and I like learning new things um, which is probably why I'm a researcher and so learning about how to uh, you know how to design a website and how to present your information has been fun for me um, so it's a work in progress but it it is an opportunity I think for me as a scientist to put my work out there and I think that we live in a in a world as as researchers and scientists that's still, for better or worse, based on kind of an eighteen hundreds nineteen hundreds model of publication, right? We put our work into a journal and we hope people read it, and yet there are you know there are newer ways of doing things and newer ways of publicizing what you're up to. And I think that it's about time that I caught up to that. Anyway, uh, other people are other people are certainly more advanced than that than than I am. Um, so that's that's one thing. The other nice thing about what we're doing with the website is that I, I I get to highlight both the projects that we're doing and what we are thinking about, and I hope that patients will will see that. Um, you know, there's one thing that COVID has shown us is that there is a skepticism about science among a lot of people in the world and I think that being able to put information onto a website that um, tells people why you care about this this particular scientific question why you think it can help save lives what is the everyday language version of why this is an important scientific question, I, th I think, you know, hopefully we'll break down some of that skepticism because I, all of the research I, all of the researchers I know 
um, really want nothing more than to help patients and save lives. So I think that's important. The other aspect of the the site that I particularly enjoy is the the page that focuses on the people. And so I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of uh, great researchers, both junior and senior. And I think that by highlighting the diversity of people who I've been lucky enough to do research with, um, including some amazing uh, women who are researchers, uh, people across different backgrounds, ethnicities, you know, racial backgrounds, etc. I think that we need to see more of that, and we need to see um, that there are a lot of different people who are successful in research and those people can be role models and I want nothing more than to to highlight their success and and I think that's an important thing that the, the website can offer for example so th those are parts of the website that I find exciting um, and and we'll see how it evolves I, I don't really know it's a it's a work in progress so Oh, that's excellent. It sounds like, you know, really trying to transform how the medium of research is conveyed to, to the masses from, you know, private publications to uh, an easily accessible website. Um, that sounds like a new, uh, you know, a, a newer pursuit. Is, is this going to be geared specifically towards patients, or are you going to be telling patients who you enroll in your clinical research studies about this website, or is it going to be more geared towards uh, you know, those in academia? I, I think it's both. I, I think it, it certainly could be both. We are, we, we are envisioning, for example, having descriptions of research projects that we're doing on the site. And if we can uh, direct patients who we are hoping to enroll in a study towards something like that, um, where they can easily see what we're up to. and and why we're interested in this, and um, hopefully why they should be interested in helping, um, then I think that could be really, really beneficial. Um, but of course, you know, we want to let everybody else in the scientific community know that what we're up to. And, and I think this is actually a good, a good piece of advice for junior researchers as well, which is, um, and it ties into what I said before about getting to know the people that are in uh, the community of scientists in your field. Um, you may be just starting out, but you should still talk to as many people as you can, let them know what you're up to, let them know what questions you're interested in, um, and, and, and listen to what they have to say. And so there's a lot of science that is really about communication and spreading the word about your research and sharing ideas. One of the most fun things about being a researcher, one of the most fun things about PERT, one of the most fun things about the CVE is uh, the ability to collaborate with people who think about things differently than you do and learning from people who have different perspectives and bring different skill sets. And that's, that's one of the best things about doing research. Um, it's what keeps us in academics, um, you know, rolling out of bed in the morning excited. Um, the ability to think about something new and work with people from different backgrounds um, to solve a problem together, 
keeps keeps an academic career fresh and i think that to me is the biggest the biggest benefit of being a, an academic emergency physician is that um you know, it's never going to get tired, and it's never going to get old, and it's never going to get boring because you're always reinventing it every time you start a new project. Excellent. And um, I, I think one of the greatest things that a mentor uh, can bring to a junior researcher is the perspective of the meta in the field and what are hot topics that need to be identified and pursued and what aren't. Um, could you tell us a little bit about, from your perspective, what you view as hot topics in the field? Uh, that are, you know, might not be addressed at, at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I, there's there are always going to be hot topics. Um, there are going to be things that are uh, particularly fundable at the moment, for example. Um, right now, I think it's hard to deny that the social determinants of health are, are uh, a hot topic, and rightfully so. Um, we are seeing... Um, for example, a lot of inequities in terms of who gets COVID, who suffers when they get it, and who is um, given access to things like vaccinations and information. COVID has laid some of those social inequities bare for our country, and um, understanding those better is a topic that we need to continue to do research on. And uh, we in emergency medicine are, I, I think, absolutely in the in the position to to make that argument that this is an important thing um so social determinants of health i think are critical that ties in with another topic that i think is is, is pretty clearly important which is addictions medicine um it's not what i work on but there's no question that when i show up to work every day the the number of patients who who suffer from addiction um has increased and is continuing to increase and and we need to better understand how we can help those patients. Um, so I, I think you know you can always find topics like that. But that said, um, I, I don't think that a researcher starting out should really worry about what the hot topics are, because the hot topics today may or may not be the hot topics tomorrow. A good, well thought out well-executed research project that answers an important question is going to be hot no matter what that topic is. It can be about PE, it can be about addictions, it can be about the left retina. If you take something that people need to know the answer to and you do a good job answering it, that's going to be an important topic and people will pay attention. Excellent. Well, Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Gabriel. Um, we really appreciate you joining the podcast and participating in this BioSketch bio initiative. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, my pleasure. Anytime. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This is the conclusion of the BioSketch series with Dr. Chris Gabriel. Uh, take care, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>